If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Put your bags down and pull up a seat. You are listening to Stay A While, the podcast with Tommy Vincent. We could talk loud, we could try, keep it real, and it's all good, Wherever you are, pull up a seat to the table where we not only serve food for the soul, but provide you with the key ingredients to embracing your true, authentic self. Sometimes the king is a woman. Powerful statement made by today's guest. And it falls right in line with today's topic, legacy. How do we build or create legacy as women when the world tries to sit us down or push us to the sidelines? Well, we couldn't have asked for a more perfect guest with whom to discuss this very topic. Today, Dr. Bernice A. King is taking her seat at the Stay A While table. And let me just tell you, the fountain of memories and wisdom overflowed as she recounted her mother and her father's impact on her life. Moments like today's episode don't happen very often, and I've sat and reflected on this conversation with so much gratitude. I hope this conversation gives you what you need to keep building the legacy you want to leave the world.
Everyone, welcome to the Stay A Wild Table. I am your host, Tommy Vincent, and today we have joining us at the table the lovely Dr. Bernice King. <laughs> and um, this conversation is going to be filled with so many gems and so many nuggets. So I just want to encourage you right now as you're listening that you make sure you take mental notes or you have your notebook and your pen ready so that you can write these things down so that you're able to find success and legacy where you are. So Dr. King, before we get into the main course of our conversation, I want to talk in a segment that is titled Food is Love. And as you know, I'm a chef. And I am all about legacy-inspired cooking. So everything that I prepare, there's always a connection to someone in my life that has poured love into my soul. Mm -hmm. And so my first question for you is, what food best describes your personality and why? You're asking questions I've never thought about. (laughs) Wow. Jeez, what food best describes my personality and why? Mm. I'm trying to think of a food that is kind of, because this is the way I think people perceive me and may be even the way that I carry myself, which may not be the best thing all the time, which is uh, there's this, and I don't want to use the word tough, but strength is a better word on the outside, but there's a there's there's a tenderness on the inside. So sometimes it has to do with how you cook the food too. Like, um, and I know this is not the direct way to answer this question, but my mother and I don't eat beef today, but my mother used to make a mean pot roast, and you know they can look tough. You know, until you get mm-hmm. it in your mouth. And some of them are because people don't know how to, how, to, how to bake them. But when I tell you that that thing melted in your mouth when you put it in your mouth, that's exactly what it did. So I would kind of probably have, even though I don't eat beef today, but I did back then, I would have to say that's probably close to it. Because people say you look unapproachable, you look like this strong you intimidate it's you know i'm like i don't i don't get why but you know uh <laughs> once either i warm up as they say to people or people get to know me they get in touch with that kind of soft tender side so mm-hmm. i hope that was the that's a, that was a good way to answer it <laughs> I had to really yeah no that was that. that was a perfect description <laughs> I thought of a steak. And then when you said the pot roast, I said, yep, that's just exactly (laughs) what it is. Um, But that was a perfect description. Um, Name one recipe that is special to you and why. Um, Wow. One recipe. Now, you know, I'm not a cook. You, 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 you're trying to reach for something real deep. I have cooked, but I'm not a cook. If that makes any sense. I mean, I, you know, I, I I do pretty well when I do, but, uh, ah, Lord, I mean, you're asking these questions I never thought about in terms of food. Um, do you all have a recipe in your family? Maybe it's not something that you cook, 
but a recipe that kind of circulates throughout your family when it hits the table that everybody is like, oh, this is such and such is you whatever know, I it is. I, I, we, you know, we, the, the thing is we love food. So I don't think there's an affinity to anything in particular because people always ask me, what's my favorite food? And honestly, I don't really have one. I mean, that I know that sounds mm-hmm. strange, um, but I, I really don't have one. I can talk about, I don't have the really, I don't have the recipe of something that, I'm going back to my mom again. She, As you said, she is so significant or was so significant in my life, but she still is very significant, um, even in her absence. Um, but um, she used to make this vegetable soup. And when I tell you it was a staple in our home for anybody who ever came to our home, it was it was so good. And and we used to get those Ritz crackers and kind of put them inside mm-hmm. the soup. You know how you do that? You know, and, yes, um, and get them nice uh, and soft. Soft, <laughs> and yes, yes, it made the soup even better. But she would pull together all these different vegetables. Um, that are left over and all of that kind of stuff and put inside of the soup and she would freeze it. She kept uh, those old uh, containers, you know, the tall ones, mm-hmm. uh, plastic containers. She would freeze them and put them, put them away. And literally, there are people that will talk about that soup today that if you weren't feeling well, she would offer you that soup. And people literally felt better. I mean, there are people that tell mm-hmm. stories of that soup who come to my mom's house. Anybody who ever came to visit or to meet with her got some of that soup. And so if I had to talk about one thing, it would be that the problem is nobody asked for the recipe before she died. Mm-hmm. And so I've not tasted soup, vegetable soup like that since. I'm not saying it's not, none exists. Uh but that was a staple for a long time in my life. And then something else is so simple. My aunt, my dad's uh, sister, who's still living, she's 94. Um, mm-hmm. She used to, I used to stay with them from time to time when my mother would travel because her daughter is just um, a year younger than I am. And uh, on Sunday mornings, even Saturday mornings, uh, not not well, not Sunday mornings when we would have family uh, dinners that included all the families. She made what we call the Ferris juice, and the Ferris juice was a combination of frozen lemonade, frozen limeade, and frozen uh, grape juice. I used to love, mm. you know, people love Kool Aid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kool Aid had nothing on this Ferris. Ferris juice. I'm telling you, it was out of this world. And we talk about it now because, you know, I'm, she she's not in a, uh, in a state where she can fix it today. But, you know, I think I'm going to try to do that. I might try to think about doing that at Thanksgiving. I'm glad you asked me that mm-hmm. question because somebody got to bring it back. Um, but it was everybody mm-hmm. loved that Ferris juice. I'm telling you. <laughs> I think about, you know, definitely recipes, written recipes were not passed along to me. However, 
you know, I really just believe that when we are able to bring recipes forward from our ancestors, it presents an opportunity for this generation and generations to come to have an opportunity to engage with their great, great, great grandmother. You know, it's like you're keeping you you're keeping them alive through the food so they ex- can experience the love um, that was in those dishes. And so while I didn't have recipes from my grandmothers um, or even my parents, they because everybody was a dump cook, they would just make a dish. Mm-hmm. There were no put a cup of this or a teaspoon of that. And so I go off of one, how it made me feel, you know, the experience that the right. food brought to me and then just memory and seeing, I know she put this in it. I know they put that in it. And then just taste and visually just wanting yeah. those dishes to come back to life. And, you know, I've been, um, I've been successful at some and then other ones I've made it my version, but the love behind it is still comes from that place of something that I experienced growing up with all of my, you know, the people who fed me throughout my life. And that's what's important is the love that goes into the food with the taste. Because I think there's some people that put (laughs) love into their food, but Lord have mercy on that taste. I got a story about that because a couple of stories real quick. One Thanksgiving, uh, we went to visit my mother's sister. She started saying she was dying, and she really wasn't. I think she just wanted some attention. And it was Thanksgiving mm-hmm. time, and you know we're used to eating, you know, a Thanksgiving meal that's out of this world uh, in terms of taste. And so we went to visit her in um, um, Pennsylvania, Westchester. And uh, my mother forgot it's Thanksgiving, you know, because we were just all in the moment of the crises. So we decided, okay, mm-hmm. how are we going to get food? And my aunt talked about this woman friend of hers could, you know, fix us something. When we got that food, Tommy, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> that was the first time in my life that I understood the power of seasoning. Because that food had <laughs> zero. I had never tasted chicken so horrible. Oh my God. You know, nothing, the only thing that had a little bit of taste because it comes with that is, were the yams. That was it. I, I said, oh my God. So on the flip side, when people used to ask in Bernie's cook, and that's why I hate, this is one of the reasons, not the major reason, I hate my mother's not here today. She will, she would always say to people, Bernice is a good cook. Uh, even though I'm, I don't consider myself a cook, I didn't do it often, but there were times when I did, I did large family gatherings. In fact, that's how I started. Uh, she said, because she knows how to season. She seasons well. Mm. She said, that's the key to cooking is knowing how to season those foods. And I think about that so often when I'm eating foods, you know, I'm tasting, where's can I taste, you know, the different herbs and spices. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people just don't know how to bring that stuff to life, you know, and the, mm-hmm. the food is either bland 
Um, because even like if you if you season and don't have a lot of sodium, you know, salt content, you really gotta know how to mix and blend those those herbs and spices. Cause otherwise it's mm-hmm. like it may look good, but it doesn't have the taste. Yeah, and it'll fall like, it'll fall yeah. flat for sure. Yeah, yeah. So my mother used to she used to throw down. She was a great cook and she she taught me the power of seasoning. She was the one who really taught me. But I never understood when she would say, you put a pinch. What is a pinch? I mean, I know you can pinch, <laughs> but what is that? Two pinches? I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you know, I'm used to a tablespoon, a quarter of a tablespoon, you know, an eighth of a tablespoon. You know, I can get with that. But a pinch, a pinch of this is about two pinches of that. <laughs> but they know how they know do they know how to they knew how to throw down with their peaches (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes lord name a time in your life when food was healing for you wow healing oh my god that usually the opposite is that food is uh is what we resort to when we're stressed out um Hmm. Where do you get these questions? <laughs> <laughs> Lord have mercy. I would have to say those times when my mom would come over to my house when I was not feeling well, mm-hmm. and she would go in that kitchen and, and whip some, some, some kind of soup concoction up uh, and bring it to mm-hmm. me, you know? Uh, because it was mom, uh, knowing how busy my mother was, um, and this was in, in my adult years. I'm not talking about when I was a little kid. I'm talking about in my adult years, in my 20s, late 20s, mm-hmm. early 30s. She, she she would come to my come to my house, and she would get in that kitchen and bring something to me, and it just it was very soothing. Because it was from mother. It was mm-hmm. the love. It was the care, the compassion, mm-hmm. and the sacrifice. You know, because mm-hmm. as a grown person, your your parent doesn't have to come see you unless it's something great. It should, they don't have to come see you when you, you're not feeling, you know, some kind of respiratory, you know, illness or whatever. Uh, they got you, you know, in the bed a couple of three days. But she did it. And it made all mm-hmm. the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. I appreciate those lessons. I just was having this conversation with um, one of my sons. It's so important for us to keep people in our life that are more seasoned than us. Because there are some things about being learning how to be a good human that comes yes. along with being able to glean from the wisdom of people who've lived life longer than you have. And so I encourage all of my kids, no, you need to make sure that you have people in your life that are more seasoned than you, that have lived longer than you. And just even how you illustrated in that story, you were grown and your mom was doing these things for you, but you recognized in that moment that not only was she bringing her love, but she was sacrificing because her she herself 
was a grown woman who had grown woman responsibilities, mm-hmm. but yet she, mm-hmm. it was a part of her understanding this piece of me is important because this is going to bring about the nurturing and the healing that Bernice will need. Um, so I, I love that illustration yeah. and, and the way that you painted that picture. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into the main course of our conversation. And I want to start it with this quote. My story is a freedom song of struggle. It is about finding one's purpose, how to overcome fear, and to stand up for courses bigger than oneself. And that is a quote from the late Coretta Scott King. And we are going to be talking about today, uh, and the title of this actually came from you, Dr. King, sometimes the king is a woman building and continuing family legacy while developing your individual purpose. And, you know, I really had an opportunity to really think about our conversation. And I shared with you before we started just how inspiring you are to me. And it kind of goes back to that last answer you gave regarding your mom, how you have such a reverence for her and how she poured into you for who you are today and recognizing that she was anointed. And so there's the the aspects of her that you had the opportunity to sit under and for that oil to run down on you. And then in the process, you too were being cultivated and curated by God to be the woman that you are today. And I just truly believe that that is a component in life that women need today. Just recognizing and understanding that in order for us to be and to become, that we have to be in position to receive someone else's oil so that we're able to walk in an anointing that is that has power in it. So the first question that I have for you is many people think they know you, but no one knows you better than you know yourself. So can you, Dr. Bernice King, define for us what you believe about your purpose? And at what point in your life did you recognize that, no, this is it. This is what I'm here to do. Wow. You know, I've I've been uh, thinking about that holistically because there are a lot of things I could say. But my father had a sermon entitled Three Dimensions of a Complete Life. And he talked about the length, the breadth, and the depth. And essentially what it was is it's a triangular. It's the the love and reverence for God, for self, and for others. And I have come to understand that for me, I'm on this earth to encourage and inspire people to live those three dimensions. I have a tendency to try to observe and listen to where people are and think about 
what may be missing or lacking or that needs strengthening and focusing on that. And, and so, for instance, if somebody is self-consumed and doesn't have any true outreach to others, in other words, they haven't understood uh, their responsibility to humanity. They don't grasp mm-hmm. the importance of having um, uh, some type of other centeredness in their life. Then I try to, you know, encourage and inspire in that way. If there's somebody who's trying to gain the whole world and let yet lose their soul, you know, I try to get them mm-hmm. back to center to understand. It's okay to have a healthy, self-centered concern, you know, to take care of mm-hmm. yourself. Because what you don't want to be is what my, my pastor used to tell me. He said, don't be a public success and a private failure. So the things that you have mm. to do personally and for self um, and keep a sense of balance because you can, um, you can, you can lose your mind. You can break down. You can shorten. I believe sometimes people can become so, so other centered that they short circuit Mm -hmm. their life. And so even if they may have a longer life, the quality is compromised. So that's important. But then there's so many people who are so consumed in the day to day of the world and the responsibility of fulfilling that outward, you know, call. Um, They, They have the balance of the self, but they don't connect with the greater power. They don't have a reverence and respect and a love for where God is situated in all of this. And so it depends, you know, on which angle I come. But the point is that I use what I have learned, what you said earlier, from the wisdom and the the oil that my mother poured into my life and my father in in a sense um, to try to to encourage and inspire people that way. So if we're talking about other concerns, we're talking about the world and everything that we're looking at, you know, I approach it with the teachings that my both my father and mother uh, left for all of us um, that we call Kenyan nonviolence in the King Center. We've kind of branded it as nonviolence 365. And teaching people how to really engage humanity from a nonviolent perspective. You know, how do we transform mm-hmm. our society for the better? Because we, we, we can't do it in, in ways that are destructive. Because at the end of the day, we're all connected, you know, and interconnected. Uh, and we've got to find a way to, to coexist uh, in this world and ensure that there is justice and equity and fairness, um, and dignity and, and respect. Um, and so, you know, the, I discovered this fully probably mm-hmm. when I got to the King Center, the King Center has been like the unveiling for me of a lot of things. And it may have been because I finally got to a position, uh, of responsibility where it really matters now from a day to day perspective. I'm responsible for the people that work with me. I'm responsible to the public because I'm leading a charitable organization. 
I'm responsible to my mm-hmm. parents' legacy because it is their institutional legacy uh, that I represent. And ultimately, you know, I have to be accountable to God on a day-to-day basis. That's that's what that's what drives me in everything that I do is the accountability to Him. Absolutely. Um, can you share with us what you learned from your mother about being a woman? What I can say, because I'm a woman who was developed educationally in two um, arenas that are predominant, have been historically predominantly male-dominated, ministry uh, and law. And what really gave me a sense of grounding and security is watching my mother, you know, not be drawn into other people's hangups about her being a woman leading and influencing uh, Mm -hmm. change. Uh, You know, she didn't wear, she didn't wear the, the, the weight of the world on, on her in terms of you're just a woman, you know, a woman can't do this Mm -hmm. and can't do that. My mother wore her purpose, you know, on her. She, that's what she carried with her every day. And she stayed focused in that. And whatever people had to say about her being a woman, and even when she started out, they said, you know, you need to stay at home and raise your four kids. She knew she had a greater call in her life. And so Mm -hmm. in spite of what they were saying, and in spite of how they treated her as a woman a lot of times, trying to leave her out of this or not give her her due, she just kept staying focused, you know? on her purpose, mm-hmm. on her assignment, um, and it helped me. So when I finally accepted my call to ministry and, and did that first outward thing that you do, which is a sermon, I had an opportunity to preach at a lot of different churches. And, you know, there were a few you know, that, that, you know, struggled. Some of the people in that congregation struggled with women preachers. And, you know, when I became a preacher, in, at least in my tradition, the Baptist church, um, and it's not a Southern Baptist, but a, even the Black Baptist Church. You didn't see or hear of many women preachers. I mean, I probably was, especially at my age, I was a novelty. There's a lot of women now um, at young ages. Mm-hmm. But when I was coming along, when I got my call, I was 17. That was about 1980. So it wasn't a oh, lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's when I got the call. Now I ran for eight years. Um, so you're talking about right around 87, 88, there weren't a lot of women out there mm-hmm. that, that were 20 years old preaching. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I remember distinctly people saying a woman, not, uh, I, there was a guy that was working for the king said a woman, I suffer not a woman to preach or to teach, exert authority <laughs> over a man. And, you know, initially, you, you, you know, you, you, you have this reaction where you want to go back and forth with that person. But mm-hmm. I just I just drew from the strength of my mother. She didn't get in those kind of conversations. Did not get in the back and forth. That's their issue. That's their hang up. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you sit mm-hmm. with that. I'm getting ready to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's what I did. So I didn't carry the same anger in ministry that sometimes I see women carry. And I get it. You know, 
not being mm-hmm. acknowledged, not being respected, you know, not given the opportunity and all that kind of stuff. I just did what I needed to do wherever I needed to do it. And my gifts made room for me, you know, and one day mm-hmm. I was at a church and the chair of the deacon board said, you know, I, I just I ain't I didn't believe in, in woman preachers, but you you changed my mind on today. <laughs> and so that was to me like a confirmation that, hey, you know, yeah, if you just if you just stay focused, it may take some time, you know, and I, I get it. We should be at a place in this world in race and sexism, all this stuff mm-hmm. where people, you know, regard your humanity, your giftedness, your the fact that God created you just as equal mm-hmm. as they are and that you bring something to this world, but we're not fully there yet. But I'm not gonna uh I'm not gonna let it wear me down. Let me just say that. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna mm-hmm. address it. We're gonna continue to challenge it. But while we're doing that, I'm also gonna keep doing what I'm doing. You're not gonna stop me from doing what I'm doing. This is what I was called to do. Yeah. My accountability is to God, not to man, not to mm-hmm. woman, not to anyone. It is to God and God alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my final question for you is, um, could you speak to the women that are listening to our podcast? And and, uh, we don't discriminate men listen to, but this is specifically for them and fellas get to listen. You talked about, you know, how you have such a you're flat-footed in who you are and what you know that God has purposed you to do. And you're not moving from that. So no matter what people are saying, no matter the discouragement or, you know, people trying to reject that aspect of who you are, you're committed to do it, to doing it anyway, because you know that you, your calling has been established to you by God. Yes, you, you were born into a family where there's a mantle that sits heavy on the entire family, but you are establishing your legacy in the earth for the glory of God. What would you share with other women who are positioning themselves to really get into identifying why am I here and what have I been called to do and being steadfast and getting that done before they leave this earth? What would you say to them? Well, the the first thing, just as a point of clarification, because this has been something I've wrestled with uh, for the last few years and got greater clarity during the pandemic. In my particular situation, I was born into something that had started um, in, in my family. And for a long time, People were trying to get me to figure out what Bernice, what is what is your legacy? And I had to come to the conclusion that I'm not creating a legacy. I'm I'm building upon a legacy because it's a legacy that mm-hmm. this world continues to need. And so I'm now mm-hmm. saying, what is it that I am supposed what what brick am I supposed to add? What element am mm. I supposed to, you know, add uh, to the equation? 
and asking that critical question. And as I was talking to my stylist yesterday, um, you know, we were talking about um, the, the work of the, the King Center and uh, my father and mother's legacy. I was saying, you know what? At the end of the day, for those that are in Christ, even with my father's legacy, when you peel back, he's really carrying, he was really carrying a dimension of the legacy of Christ. Um, so it all ties back to that. Mm-hmm. It ties back to, you know, what is my contribution to building, continuing to build the kingdom of God in the earth? Dr. Mm-hmm. King's contribution was to introduce us to a philosophy and methodology of nonviolence as a way to bring about social transformation, giving us the, the foundation of principles that you must abide by while you carry out the strategy and while you carry out, you know, the steps of nonviolence. Um, and for me, what I've discovered is how do we now do what daddy challenged that he didn't get a chance to further explore or exemplify to the world. Uh, and my mother who created an institution uh, that kind of institutionalized all this, but she didn't get a chance to really develop um, a, a, a nation of people within nations who mm-hmm. embrace this way of living on a day-to-day basis. You know, I think our world falls apart because as we evolve, there's some things that don't stay constant, that need to stay constant. That You know, there it's, it's kind of like gravity is gravity. It's not going to ever change. Now, you might manipulate some things, but it's still going to be gravity. There, there's some principles that come out of the heart and spirit of God, Christ, around love that you cannot, you can't change. Love is never going to be out distance or out one. In the end, it's Mm -hmm. going to prevail. Whether we like it or not, it's going to prevail. And everything else will eventually dissipate. But we have to stay consistent in that on a day-to-day basis, a day-to-day work to allow love to be exuded in your interactions, in your, you know, ways of thinking through decisions that impact people's lives, Mm -hmm. whether we're inventing something, Mm -hmm. creating something, setting policies, making decisions for an entire company of people, you know, how do I ensure that the outcome of this leaves people with, with their dignity, that people feel that they uh, are in an environment that they belong, that there's fairness, that there's equity, um, you know, that, that it's it's the beloved community, we call it. I would mm-hmm. flip that and say the, the kingdom of God. And so for me, it's, hey, um, my contribution is to get people to that place where they're living this. So the question that people have to ask themselves is, what seems to be missing, lacking in the world that gets your attention as a woman? Mm-hmm. What, what is it? That, what is that stirring up in you that you always find yourself trying to step to 
and 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 address or pay attention to, you know, um, and do something about, you know, and 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 what continues to draw you? What do you end up like every time you turn around? You're coming back to the same thing. It keeps showing up over and over and over again. That to me is mm-hmm. where you find your sense of purpose and peace. You know, that's your piece of this entire equation of getting the 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 world to where God wants us all to be holistically. Um, so mm-hmm. I take the weight because I, you know. I think when we push too many people to have all these individual legacies, what happens? Because who carries what happens? Is it really a legacy at that point? Because once a person is gone, if if there's nothing left behind, in other words, if if we can't continue to carry that forward. So if I catch something from somebody else, I'm carrying that piece into another dimension. You know, so you got to find out what piece of that dimension are you supposed to carry into this generation and and leave for the next generation and now add the next piece? That was powerful. And um, thank you for that. It is definitely something, you know, that we should all be considering. And as you were talking, what I just, right now you are in the campaign of Be Love. And so when you were talking about that process, I was just seeing, making sure that we're filtering all that we do through love and it will land us where we need to be in regards to ourselves and also the greater community at large. So I appreciate our conversation today. I appreciate you sharing, you know, just pieces of you, even from the intimate stories of, from the food conversation where you brought us into the table and your family. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate the work that you continue to do in the earth carrying forward the legacy laying the bricks for the dimension that you've been called to so i appreciate you and i thank you so much for joining me today at the stay a while podcast table thank you so much for having me and maybe we'll do this again (laughs) anytime let's take heed to dr king's sage advice Think about what legacy you're already a part of and how you can continue to build one brick at a time. Consider the long-standing impact you can have by keeping the dream alive through your unique gifts. To learn more about the work Dr. King is doing, visit thekingcenter.org. You can follow Dr. King on Twitter at Bernice King and on Instagram at Bernice A. King like what you hear then let me know and tell a friend you can find and follow stay a while on apple spotify and everywhere you listen to podcasts i can't thank you enough for your support of stay a while don't forget to rate and review us on apple podcasts your feedback is greatly appreciated because it helps us to set the table with the soul food you crave you can also talk to me directly on instagram at chef Tommy V. And that's Tommy with an I. And remember, life happens at the table. So meet me there. Come on and stay a while. Tommy V. Come on and stay a while.